The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Hello and welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. Today, we radiate open-mindedness with Sylvia True, who's a novelist and chemistry teacher. And Sylvia is the author of the semi-autobiographical novel, Where Madness Lies, the story of uh, Nazi Germany, mental illness, and the paranormal. So welcome, Sylvia. I'm so glad to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. (laughs) and so this is the story of this is a family story correct yeah so tell us what happens in this story okay so the um main character the protagonist her name is Inga and she is based off of my grandmother Mm. who had to flee from Germany um, in part because she was in Ju- because she was Jewish, but um, there was another part in her family that had to do with mental illness. Wow. And before she left Germany, she tried desperately to help her sister Rigmore. And because of the times, because of the beliefs in eugenics at the time, right. it, it didn't work out too well. She ended up fleeing to Switzerland um, with her mother. And, and ended up with, a, you know, some trauma, obviously, that was really repressed. And much later on, um, her granddaughter, which is me, the book <laughs> in the book, I'm Sabine. And um, her granddaughter suffers also from mental illness. And the, the way that the granddaughter and eventually the grandmother, Inga, is healed is through an openness and an open an openness to really look at the past and what's gone on in the family and how this repression has caused an enormous amount of fear and shame throughout the family. And that going into the mental hospital for me, which I went into the mental hospital, was the beginning of a, of a healing journey for me and for the family. So that's what it's based on. Oh, yeah, that's lovely. And so it really does bridge the gap between your 
grandmother and you, Nazi Germany, right. present time. Um, right. So your family, of course, was in Nazi Germany at a difficult time in history. Yes. And right. So this it's a story about the high price of repression in that era, in that right. place of the country. Right. right? That's okay. Right. And so how did the Nazis deal with mental health issues at the time? So there was a movement even before the Nazis came into power with eugenics. And that was true really across the world. I mean, it wasn't just in Nazi Germany. In fact, at the time that it became, you know, a bigger movement in Germany, the Americans were you know, perceived to be ahead in the eugenic movement. So what happened, it was all about what they considered biology. It was a study in biology and basically race purification or clean, you know, getting rid of the diseased. And so in in Germany, they just, they took this obviously to the extreme, but in 1933, um, they had the law for the sterilization law and doctors and families could get people sterilized if they were deemed unfit in many different ways, okay? So it wasn't just mental illness, it was alcoholism and schizophrenia and hysteria and blindness. And so that was the really the beginning. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my great aunt was mentally ill and it wasn't clear to me exactly what she had she was diagnosed with schizophrenia but at that time um the the diagnosis of schizophrenia was used really commonly and um you know it was also a way to sort of get what the germans wanted at that time which was to get rid of illness right Oh my. And so was your, was your grandmother then and great aunt, um, were they hospitalized? Um, so there were six actual, there were actually six killing centers in Germany in the mental hospitals and the euthanasia and well, the sterilization first, and then the euthanasia of mental patients was basically act one of the Holocaust. I mean, it was where they learned all their techniques. It was where the doctors set up the gas chambers, the same doctors that went to the concentration camps and set up the gas chambers there. So that was where they learned everything. They, you know, they built their gas chambers, their crematoriums, they pillaged the corpses. So, yeah, so my great aunt was in one of those hospitals. Oh my. Well, of course, your family survived, you know, because you're here, right? right? What did your family have to do to survive? Well, I mean, the first thing they had to do, which not all of them did, but many of them, was leave. And um, both my families, actually, both my mother's and my father's family were from Frankfurt, Germany. And it's, you know, my my mother's family fled to Switzerland and my father's family fled to England. And I would say that one of the ways they survived was through repression and through sort of not 
often dealing with the trauma because how do you deal with it? And I think a lot of it was repressed. I mean, one of the ways, so fleeing was one way to survive. And I think the other way was really repression. And mm-hmm. my mother, my mother was an amazing woman. She was a Swiss national champion skater in Switzerland. Yes, I saw and, that. Um, I, yeah, she was really a character. I mean, she was a beautiful woman and very dynamic and, mm-hmm. but also had a lot of depression and anxiety. And she really dealt with it through movement, through skating. Right, and, right. Through exercise, which you know, is, you know, one one right. thing, one way to, to combat depression. That's really right. tough. Now, um, you know, that is so fascinating. What part of Switzerland did they settle in? I, I would assume Basel. Basel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. I love Switzerland. It's my second home. Yeah. And Oh, my um, God. It's... It's just beautiful. It is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. I spent a lot of time there with my grandmother. Oh, wow. I bet you did. Oh, and here's my cat peeking in. You know, this is working oh, good. from home, right? <laughs> this is working from home. Right. <laughs> this is. Oh, I know. <laughs> really? Because you teach all your classes now online? Well, so we have a hybrid system. Sure. Um, where where are you? What Kansas City, Missouri. I don't know. Okay. City, Missouri. So I'm in Massachusetts and many of our schools, I'm in a high school and we're what we call hybrid. Right. Although it's it's ending up being much more online than hybrid. So technically we have students come in and some students at home, but more and more students for a number of different reasons are staying at home. So yeah, some days I'm totally remote and I teach with my dogs because <laughs> they love chemistry. Right, because they love chemistry. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't love chemistry, right? <laughs> and I've got two cats and a dog and everything I do, they um, sit on my lap, right. or whispers in the camera right. or their bark. So it's just, we're a lot more flexible in our working life these days, aren't we? Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's changed. You know, I mean, it's been really difficult, but, you know, you have to, I don't know, sort of embrace the, some of the good changes that are coming from this and what we're learning about ourselves and our students. And mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been through hard things before as a people. So if this is the hardest that we do in our lifetimes, then we're pretty lucky. Right. And um, there's my cat's whiskers in there. So if you're listening on, if you're listening on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, you're not getting the full picture. You got to see this on YouTube. So <laughs> let's go back to the book. Um, so your, I mean, your family is. You've got a Swiss national champion ice skater, but right. the grandfather also has a, a claim uh, to history, right? So, so my, mm-hmm. I, I assume you're, st- um, there, well, there's a lot of scientists in my family, which, <laughs> which will tie into the paranormal eventually. One, but, um, It's really, it's very interesting. I mean, my grandfather on my father's side, okay. They mm-hmm. also lived in Frankfurt. My grandfather was a doctor and he was the doctor of Anne Frank and her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and my grandfather and my father's family, they made it out just in time. My grandfather was this 
the most sensitive, kind-hearted person who absolutely never believed and couldn't believe that people would do the things that they did during Nazi Germany. And he was sort of, there was a cousin of his sort of pushed him onto the, almost the last train. So they fled to England and um, my mother's family fled to Switzerland. And my grandfather on my mother's side stayed in Germany. He was not Jewish. He was the only person who wasn't Jewish in my family. He was a famous chemist. And he and my grandmother had to get separated because of the Nuremberg laws. Um, they, if, she, if he stayed married to her, he couldn't maintain his job at the university and they chose what they chose for other reasons as well. I mean, my grandmother was a very interesting woman and was also in love with another man. So I mean, you know, and then there was the issue of her sister. So it was, it was complicated. Right. Yeah. Very complicated. Yes. But your grandfather was the doctor of this, this well-known girl in her family. Right. During right. A, during a tough right. Time. Um, and so they must've made his, he must've made his way to Amsterdam at some point in the story. Who? My grandfather? Yeah. No, no. no. Uh, before Anne Frank's family fled to Amsterdam, they lived in oh. Frankfurt. Okay. So they knew each other. They were the same sort of society and, you know, very well-educated Jewish families in Frankfurt. Yeah. That was pre-Amsterdam. Pre-Amsterdam, right, 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 right. So um, so your family, of course, was able to get out just in time, of course. And um, so what a, gosh, what a difficult time that must have been. And, and that figures in quite prominently in your, in your story where madness lies, right. the treatment of the, from the Nazis and, and the difficult times that they were living in. Right. Um, and so we turn back to mental health. So do you feel like mental health is something that we inherit today? Um, you know, so, yeah. That it's such an interesting question because I, when I went to college many years ago, mm -hmm. um, you know, we were basically taught that, you know, who we were was 80% environmental and 20% genetic, right? That was 40 years ago, okay? I'm aging mm -hmm. myself, but that's okay. And um, I don't think we even are close to that now. I would guess we're maybe closer to 50-50, but, you know, I, can we ever know for certain? No, there are factors that are definitely genetic and there are factors that are definitely environment. And certainly both played in my life for sure. I mean, it's very clear that what my great aunt had, which again, you know, it might be diagnosed differently today and it probably would be, was genetic to some degree. My mother had a lot of anxiety and depression as did I from a very young age, although that's not what it was called. And um, it was only later when I, I went into the hospital and was able to get treatment that I was diagnosed with something. And, you know, both of my daughters have suffered as well from some anxiety and depression. And they're very different. Um, one has much more of the anxiety piece and one has much more of the depression piece. I, I was lucky I got both. Yeah. Anyway. So, and what I what it, I really wanted to write about as well as the history and you know how how Nazi Germany sort of ended up where it did ultimately 
I also wanted to write about the shame of mental illness because I teach young students, I teach teenagers and the shame is still around. It's much less for sure, but it's still around. And I, I want to talk about it and I want to talk about it, you know, obviously with my family, but also with my students. And, you know, it's something that you can get help for and it doesn't have to ruin your life and you don't have to feel ashamed of. And so that's really important to me. Oh, no, that's terribly important. Terribly important. You know, I'm sure that a lot of that stigma started back in the days of the Nazis and before where it was just so misunderstood. Right. Well, and there's that whole idea of perfection, you know, I mean, that was deeply rooted, obviously, in the Nazi culture. But in that, even though, you know, my parents were Jewish, you know, that those roots of like, you need to be perfect and healthy. I mean, that's anchored in people's minds in the public discourse, right? So we, you know, a lot of us, even though we don't, maybe we're not told, we're not told you have to be perfect, but you know, we feel it as children. We have to, we have to show this sort of perfection and healthiness. And I I guess you know, the opposite of weakness. We can't be weak. We have to pull up our socks. You know, that was what we were told in my family, pull up your socks. And, and that's what I, another thing I really want to, you know, I really want the book to open up is that we have to lean, to really, really learn to see all people, all people as mm-hmm. equals, you know, mentally ill, handicapped, different races. I mean, we really are equal. And that's what I want people to see. Oh, absolutely. We just have a difference in our experiences, but right, we right. are equal in that aspect, right? There, but for the grace of God go I. But, you know, right. this has been around forever and it's, there's always been a stigma. And I feel in some ways the stigma might be lessening right now, perhaps, than it was, you know, 60 years ago. Right, 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 right. Um, also in your book, there is a an undercurrent, a theme of the paranormal. Now, oh, sorry, I see your cat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wait, who, who was that? That was KC. That's my one of my cats. <laughs> well, that was perfect timing, KC, as you mentioned the word paranormal. We had like a ghost-like Creature, enter our screen. So thank you. Good timing, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Although my house, I'm doing this from my house today. Sometimes I record from my office, but today I'm recording from my house. And uh, my house does have quite a bit of activity in it of the paranormal type. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Footsteps, things move around, music in the walls, all kinds of things. Oh, that's cool. Right. It's it's interesting. It's fun. It's nothing, nothing negative. It's nothing harmful. Um, Very much coexisting. But in your book, you do have a strong belief in the paranormal. And then there's someone in the book who even has visions. Right. Correct. Is are you hoping that readers are going to make the link between paranormal and these visions? What type of visions are they? So I, uh, 
you know, again, it's open for interpretation, right? A reader can interpret the way they want. But I think it's pretty clear in the book um, that her visions are paranormal. And um, she's a great character. And she actually has visions of my grandmother's sister. And, you know, I think that what she does is she opens up um, the mind of my grandmother a little to this possibility because her visions are pretty clear. And so it's hard to discount them. Um, and of course I understand that not everybody believes in these things and, and I respect that, but I think with her, I mean, I hope that the reader gets the idea that she does actually see these things. Now her story is sort of interesting in the book because she she was psychic as well. And she knew that there was going to be a fire in the halfway house she was living in. And because she knew that, they blamed her for it. She knew it beforehand. Mm. And, it, and it is the case that people who do sometimes have visions, you know, they get treated as if they're crazy, whether they hear voices or they have visions or sometimes they are not always but they are put in mental hospitals and in this culture especially it's it's such an interesting culture here I think it's I do think it's changing but I spend a lot of time in Peru in the jungle right. and it's so interesting how they view these things completely differently you know <laughs> spirit is part of the river and part of the wind and it exists and it exists in harmony. And we don't, we are not as open to that here. And I always find that so fascinating because, you know, there are people who, and this is like nothing negative. I mean, there are people who go to church and take communion and believe in, you know, the body and blood of Christ and then look at me like I'm crazy when I talk about visiting a psychic or, you know, going to a medium and hearing from my mother. And I'm like, well, why is that crazier than what you believe? And who's to say the people in Peru are crazy to believe in what they believe? I mean, they're just different beliefs. And when you start talking to people, it's so fascinating to me how many people have had, whether directly or indirectly, had have do have an in experience with the paranormal. I used to teach a class, one of my favorite classes I taught is called Science in the Media. And I let the kids choose different topics, but not from a textbook. It's all about reading from like fun articles or even watching documentaries. And we always, they always end up like really wanting to, to talk about the paranormal, right? And I show them some some great videos from University of Virginia where they have all the research they do there. And as they begin to get more comfortable talking about it, there's never anybody that doesn't have some story to share of some connection with this. And yet they're told not to talk about it still, you know? So I just, I find it so important to me and this character, Cece, you know, whether people think it's mental illness I obviously don't. And um, in fact, I just got a book today called Spirit Catches You When You Fall Down. And it's sort of about that cultural disconnect. It's about um, 
a girl from another country who comes here and ends up getting hospitalized. And in her country, you know, seeing visions would be seen as a gift. And in some places it's seen as, you know, if you have that, some people might call it hero psychosis, but if you have delusions or hallucinations, then that's, you know, means that you're going to become a great shaman. So it's just so different. So I bring Cece, who's the character, into the book mm-hmm. as another way to open up, really, and another way for this character, Inga, to open up a little bit to that not everything's in boxes, not everything's, you know, the way you want it with this rigid, she's, she was kind of a rigid person trying to control things because she couldn't control so much. She had to leave her country. She left without her husband. She left without her sister. I mean, she was completely alone and she couldn't control that. So then, you know, what people do is they try to control other things. And um, CC is a way that paranormal is a way to get her to see that we can't control everything. And there's another dimension. Right. Now her visions, are these all prophetic visions or are they other types of visions as well? Um, so there, she has more visions of, of people who have passed from the spirit. Mm-hmm. But she also has, she's also psychic as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's, it's interesting. We do sometimes have this association between mental illness and, you know, visions or psychic ability. And uh, in my practice, I'm a Reiki master and hypnotherapist as well as a medium. And so I'll have people who come in and they've, um, you know, they, I'll tell them, you know, you've got these great intuitive gifts. Spirit wants to acknowledge that. They said, yeah, I, I really did when I was a kid, but then I turned it off. And I said, well, you know what, if you've got, you can turn it off. We can't turn it off. If we're frightened of it, if we're told that's not real, we're making it up, it can't be happening, or if it's the devil's work, we can turn it off. But that energy has to go somewhere, and it can often go to depression, anxiety, right? Yeah, and and other problems like that. So um, there maybe there is a, a link there, but maybe not like we're like we're thinking. Right. I mean, I also wanted, for me, it was also important that this is a story about, you know, three generations of women in a family. Uh, I don't know if I articulate this quite the way I want to, but um, I feel like there's a continuum, like from, you know, that goes beyond in time and that goes back in time. And I do feel like I was guided a lot of the way by my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was writing this book, I really did feel her presence and, and and it's a family story. And I think that's really important that those links continue. And now I just wanted to send a shout out to some of our supporters, Julian, John, James, Marissa, Charlotte, Pauline, Becky, and Louise. Thank you all so much for keeping this podcast going. If you'd like to support this podcast too, please hit the like, 
follow or subscribe button. Or give us five stars or a positive review wherever you're listening and share this with your friends. You can also subscribe to Radiate You, our private Facebook group, for bonus content including classes and meditations. Another way to support our podcast is to go to radiatewellnesscommunity.com slash podcast and click on the Donate Now button. However you support us, we greatly appreciate it, and thanks for listening. Now, did your mother also have this gift and ability, and then do you and your daughters? Um, you mean a, a psychic gift? Mm-hmm. No, uh, oh, again, I'm going to sound probably, I, I mean, I'm, I've been told I have it, although I, and I do have dreams that are very, like, prophetic, but, you know, I don't, you know, I wish I had more of it for sure. Like, I, it's fascinating to me, and it's, you know, what my next book is going to be about. It's sort of based on um, my, what I call, my daughter makes fun of me, one of my daughters, and she calls me the medium hunter, so I might be hunting you next, only in a good way. In a good um, way. Because, <laughs> only because, again, I I want I I want this to be something people can share and talk about, and I especially right. like the balance of my science background with it, and it's especially in you know, it's especially fun to talk to with science people. In my, and especially in my department, I, I'm the head of the science department and we're the science and technology department. And now we're called, because I renamed us, the science, technology and paranormal studies department. So really, we, um, yes, Is well, that we're official? not, that's not really official now. Oh, okay. <laughs> should be, it should be official. It should be, why Maybe. not? <laughs> it should be official. So because of my interest, and my interest goes way back, actually, it's shortly after I got out of the mental hospital that I began to, um, I sort of got lucky and met somebody who introduced me to just an amazing psychic who became my mentor and my sort of guide. But anyway, my interest in this goes way back. And, but I did bring it, I do bring it into my department. And so we've had many, many interesting conversations about religion and spirituality, and we've done a lot of reading and research on it. I even had, I even, one of my department members even came with me to Ireland to visit a medium. So we've gone all out in our research here. Oh, that's great. Oh, right. that's it great. has been, it is a great journey. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, there's really nothing incompatible between the paranormal and science, between religion no. and science, between religion and the paranormal. Right. Nothing, nothing counter to it at all. But a lot of people see them as incompatible. They, they do, don't they? And it's very, it's frustrating. And I mean, most of my family, I would say, sees them as incompatible. My, you know, my father was a pretty felt, uh, famous theoretical nuclear physicist you know my my everybody is a doctor or a scientist my uncle's uh he's been knighted for his work in genetics oh you know and 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 these things are things they don't believe in for sure but and I've you know I think it's been kind of fun and difficult at times to push against some of their beliefs and to say I do believe this and you know, they're like, well, where's your data? I have data. I mean, it's, you know, 
can I do a controlled experiment? No, but I've had enough experiences where, um, I mean, I'm certainly convinced, but I, my goal isn't really to convince other people. It's just, again, to have the conversation and to like not be closed-minded. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, um, only a closed mind is certain. And if you think about it, it's so true, right. you know, sorry. Right. No, that, no, that's right. Oh. Love that quote. Right. So only a closed mind is certain. Everything else you should be a little uncertain about. Right. And that's Everything else. Mm -hmm. Right. It can be up to debate. So. Everything else is up to debate, but right. Once you, once you close your mind, then there's certainty. Right. Oh, I like that a lot. Right. 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 And it makes you pause, you know. When I tell my students, they're like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, think about it. <laughs> think about it. Think about it. With an open mind. And to so many things. <laughs> to many things. Right, exactly. And the minute we decide that we're going to, this is our, this is what we believe, that's it, then we're like not open to change either. We're not open to Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I mean, sort of getting back to the book a little, I mean, the main character, Inga, the protagonist, I mean, mm -hmm. she does close her mind after she leaves Germany. And um, she was very open-minded in many respects in Germany before she left um, in terms of doing research and in, in, in mental illness and trying to help her sister. And then, you know, the law is just so much loss. I mean, I think she became closed-minded and rigid and really, you know, stuck to what she could control, which was like making sure every clock in the house rang at the exact same time every day, you know, things like that. Right. And you know that when you see that, that's sort of a problem, right? And <laughs> so through this journey, you know, with, with me, ultimately, she had to become more open-minded. Oh, I love that. So there's you know, really, it sounds like everything in your family is just kind of out there to be examined, to be read, to be, you know, pushing the narrative along that you're literally an open book. Well, yeah, I am. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then where some people might shy away from the visions and the paranormal in their family history, then you do embrace it. And it sounds like you more than embrace it. You like actually go out and seek out more right. experiences and more knowledge of it, learning about it. Right. You yes, think that's your, your scientific background that does that? I do think that's in part that, you know, that I, I am sort of methodical about it and about, you know, the, you know, really, I mean, methodical. I don't want it to sound like I'm doing a science experiment. I'm not. No. But I am pretty thoughtful and... I mean, on sadly, I, you know, I have come up with a couple, come run into a couple frauds as well. And okay. um, I don't know. So, you know, one of my colleagues and I, it wasn't like a sting operation, but I had this gut feeling that this guy was not legit and he was very expensive. And um I said, listen, I, I don't know. I, I have this feeling he's not 
who he says he is. So I was like, you go to this, it was a spirit circle or something. And I said, you go to the spirit circle and just go, don't go as me, but just go and don't give your name. And if he gives you all my details, like he's done his research, you know, even just a spirit circle was something crazy, like $500. I mean, you know, so, so it was a spirit circle of, I want to say eight people ish. Mm -hmm. Right. So my, my poor colleague that she was like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're making me. And I was, I did it. It was just on a gut instinct. It wasn't try to, I wasn't, all I want to do is prove for sure, you know, that the paranormal is there that I know my, you know, my mother is there and whatever. So, you know, we were both hoping this guy was not a fraud. And she went in and he didn't ask for any names and there were eight people. And, you know, he then said, you know, to her, your mother's from Switzerland. She's fled from the Nazis. I'm like, obviously he Googled me. It wasn't hard to find my information and spat it back to her. So, um, yeah, I mean, in, in a way, that was a little bit of an experiment. It wasn't one that we were both very disappointed um, because you don't want that to be the case. And it's sad because there are people there who really wanted to connect, obviously, who had lost, like, husbands and children. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's terrible when there are frauds. But there are also amazing, wonderful people that I've met really and visited. Connected. Oh, absolutely. That, um, you know, there, there are people who are just so connected and um, very gifted in that, in that area as well. Right. Um, right. So um, let's go back a bit to, to mental health. Um, how do you think that we, you know, as collectively are dealing with men, mental health issues 80 years after this chapter? Certainly better, <laughs> but not good enough. <laughs> right. And I, when I say not good enough, I don't, I don't, again, I don't mean it as a criticism. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, people need to be, again, more open, but also there's still too much shame. I see it even in my students right now. There's a lot of anxiety right now with the pandemic and, you know, students are dealing with it. Maybe students you never expect to have a problem are dealing with it, right. you know, are having much more anxiety and trouble with it. Right. Um, and again, it's that feeling of control. Like some students, you know, they they're, they have, they don't feel in control right now, obviously. And they're not, you know, all their, what they're used to, everything has changed. And they're dealing with a lot of anxiety and depression. And we're having a lot of that. And there's still a lot of shame around it. And that, although that's much less, we still have a ways to go. Because mm-hmm. it would be nice to think that, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to compare it to diabetes, but if you have diabetes, you go to the doctor and you get whatever you need for diabetes. And there's not this whispering and like, oh, so-and-so struggling and having a problem. Even our, it's so odd because even our counselors at our school who I love and they're amazing, but it's always like, 
wife to talk to you in the back hallway about, you know, Johnny. I'm like, okay, like Johnny could have broken his wrist and you could tell me like, no problem. Johnny broke his wrist, but there's still that, you know, that hushing and the whispering and, you know, like it's all, we can't really talk about it. Well, you have to talk about it. I mean, we have to talk about it. And if we talk about it, we can, it can be dealt with and we can get better and move on and enjoy what we we're here to enjoy, which is love, which sounds really corny. I know (laughs) for a science teacher, right? I mean, my, my students look at me and they're like, wait, who are you? Are you really a chemistry teacher? Cause you're talking about visiting psychics and uh, yeah. And love and love and, I take, I take, to, I, I have in the past, I unfortunately didn't, haven't gone last summer, I won't go this summer. I take like 25 students to the jungle to do research in Peru wow. in the summer, right? So that's another great experience to, I know I'm getting way off topic, but it's a great experience. Wow. And, you know, the shaman there are, and we don't go to see the shaman. We go to do research in the rainforest and yeah study climate change but it's also a cultural journey and it's also important that they understand the culture there and how different it is and that they're open to it i mean in peru one family um can place like a hex on another family right i I don't know if that's the right word whatever right you can put a spell on another family Right. And if you go to the police and say, this family has placed a, a spell on my family, the police will investigate it, right? Oh my and God. Yeah, that's, that scene is completely insane. So I try to get my students to understand, no, it's, it's a different culture. Like they believe in these, they believe in different things. They know uh, spirits very close by all the time. Right. Oh, yes. So. Very close by all the time. Um, that's what a memorable experience for these students. Well, I hope so. Oh, and it's fun. God. It's so fun to see how excited they get. Oh, of course. You know, by visiting the jungle. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's great for me. I mean, I'm so lucky I get to take them. Oh, that's amazing. I yeah. can't even imagine having such an experience as a teenager. Right, right. And some of them haven't traveled at all, really. So it's great experience and it makes them more comfortable in the world. You know, when you go, it takes a long time to get there. And when you travel to the jungle and you, you know, you get through that, you feel, you know, they feel more confident when they go off to college. And so. Oh, that's amazing. And so, you know, your book, Where Madness Lies, carries uh carries the reader from your grandmother and great aunt so that generation to your mom to you what hope do you think there is for your daughters in this how can that help them lead head into an uncertain future perhaps right well again i mean you know it only closed mind is certain so it's being open to the uncertainty right and that it's it's funny because one of my daughters right now oh my god she'd kill me if she ever hears this but I was just actually just talking to her and she's very anxious about you know the state of things in the country right 
as am I. And well, yeah, and we all are, but yeah. you know, she can get like sort of, you know, it's right or wrong, black and white. And, you know, just sort of trying to talk to her about listening to other people and trying to understand what's going on and why people are feeling so angry and divisive. I mean, it's so important for us to listen right now and to understand. And really what we need to do more than anything is listen to, I mean, there's, I know that right now we think, oh, there's one side or the other side, there are two sides, but there are so many sides and we really need to understand each other and where people are coming from instead of just blaming all the time. It's just pointing fingers and blaming and not understanding. I mean, that's what my book is about. It's about Inga, the, the grandmother, coming to understand her own past, you know, and where her trauma comes from, and then using that understanding to help her granddaughter and her granddaughter coming to understand why her grandmother was sort of rigid and controlling and, you know, them finally connecting and understanding each other. And that's all I want. I mean, that's what I want for my kids and my students. It's like, just listen to people, just try to have empathy. Um, I mean, I see it. My, one of my daughters has three children and my uh, oldest granddaughter is, oh, well, I mean, she's perfect. Obviously, like, no, I said, I, I know I speak against perfection, but she is, she's just got so much empathy and already she's, she's six. And I, I do think that, you know, my daughter has learned to be open and listen, and that's already being passed on. And that was my whole hope, you know, that, you know, what we passed on is, you know, an open-mindedness and an empathy and a love that will go on to future generations. Absolutely. I can't even imagine, but I know there are parents who teach their children to be closed-minded, to be Black. Well, mm-hmm. it's not even that, I don't think anybody sets out. Like I, so I can say that in my family, even, hmm I mean, certainly my, my parents were, you know, super well educated and, you know, obviously cultured and whatever, but they were closed. I mean, certainly my father and almost every scientist in my family is totally closed-minded about the paranormal. And my mother, because of the fear, even though she Ah, she probably didn't always know exactly why and wasn't articulated, but because of the fear of not being perfect and being mentally ill, was really closed-minded. Like, I remember thinking she was always open-minded. And then in college, I had this professor who, I was for um, physical chemistry, and I, he, I did very well in the class, but I always thought I failed everything. Like, it just always felt like a fraud, right? Mm-hmm. And he was a wonderful man. And he said, you know, I think you could use some counseling and some help. And I remember going home and thinking my mother would, I would, I told my mother, I thought it was fine, but you know, this guy thinks I can use some counseling. And I remember my mother just slamming the door on me. And again, she wasn't a closed-minded person. 
she slammed the door on me and was like, no child of mine shall ever see, you know, anybody like a therapist, right? And it was all from fear. You know, I don't think she set out to be like, oh, I'm going to be closed-minded and let my daughter seek help. Eventually, I ended up in a mental hospital. So, well, you know, I had to seek help. But yeah, I don't, I don't know that people, nobody wants to set out that, but it's the fear and the shame that makes us that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm hoping that your book can just give uh, an example and narrative of how people move through this and take some of the stigma away. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Um, so where can people find where madness lies and how can they find you for more information? So I, I have a website um, and that's an easy place to go. It's sylviatrue.com. And also obviously there's Barnes and Noble and Amazon and, you know, and then the publishing company, John Hunt publishing company. Wonderful. Yeah, they have um they have a nice website and they have some really interesting authors and and titles, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have to say when uh your name first came in came across my desk, I just said Sylvia True, that's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really your family name? No, no, actually my family name, no, my um so that's my married name, but my um, my grandfather, who was the doctor of Anne Frank, their name before they fled from Germany was Billichheimer. It's a very German Jewish name. That's very, yeah. And then when they fled to England, he took my grandmother's name, Bodhimer, um, because I think they felt, you know, here we go, stigma and whatever. They felt like it would be easier to live with a name like Bodmer in England than Billisheimer. So Bodmer was my maiden name. And then I got married. True. That's, that's, boy, that's a, it's a great name. It's a wonderful name. So, and you've written another book as well. That is, um, where did I write that? Wins. Day group. The Wednesday group. So that's a bit, uh, you know, it's interesting. I didn't even think about that till now. The Wednesday group is also, you know, the core of the story is about people sharing their issues and their shame. So it's a group of women who are all married to sex addicts. And there's a ton of shame in and for them, they don't want to speak about it to their families or friends. And they do, they rely on each other. They um, connect with each other. And really the way to healing is getting over the shame and being open about it. So that's, so all that book's about, I didn't realize they were really the same. Very <laughs> similar. Very, yeah. very similar. Yeah. So, Thank you for giving me that that revelation right now. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) Are you working on anything else that could be coming up soon? So the one I'm working on right now is the one with me seeking out psychics and mediums. And um, it's a lot lighter and it's a ton of fun. I mean, I sadly, my, my mentor 
psychic died about a year ago. She was 91. She was, um, she was just a, uh, such an amazing person in my life. Oh, the good. way she has helped me. Well, anyway, who was that? So, what? Who was that? So her name, I met her shortly after I got out of McLean, actually. Um, her name was Sophie. And she lived in the same town. She reads, she read, sorry, she read regular cards, not tarot cards. And she was very gifted when she was very young and, and then sort of used the cards, which I don't, I'm sure you know, regular cards were, were first designed for reading, right? People's futures or whatever. Regular playing cards? Yeah, that's why they were, they were first made for that reason. No, I did not yeah, know that. Not, yeah. So oh, yeah, that's what she used. And I mean, yes, yeah, some of the things, you know, the specificity of some of the things that she told me still, like, it still blows me away. Like, I, I don't know if I, I have time, I'll tell you one quick story. But when my oldest mm -hmm. daughter was pregnant with her, my first grandchild, mm -hmm. um, she had just had a miss a recent miscarriage before that, and she was going for an ultrasound, and it was on New Year's Eve. And um, she called me. Actually, her husband called. She couldn't even speak. She was so hysterical. She had gone to the ultrasound, and her husband said, "You know, she she can't talk." The technician said there was something in the baby's head, like an enlarged artery. I was like, "What are you talking about? There's no artery in a baby's head." He said, I know, but I can't even understand her. She's so hysterical. I was in Chicago visiting my father and they were in Boston. And so as soon as I got off the phone, I have all these doctors in my family, including a radiologist, right? No, who do I call? I call my psychic Sophie because she's the one I know who can help me. So I call her and she reads me some cards over the phone and she was like, there's nothing wrong with the baby, but tell your daughter she can't have sex for two weeks that something hasn't moved yet and it will move. And after two weeks, she'll be able to have sex. I was like, well, I can't tell my daughter that A, I called my psychic instead of any of the doctors and that B, she can't have sex. So I'm just going to tell her that I think the baby's going to be fine. Anyway, so um, she went to the doctor and what, and the placenta was still um, low lying. So the placenta hadn't moved yet. And there was nothing wrong with the baby. The technician had seen an artifact and my daughter didn't know what an artifact and a sonogram was. So she interpreted, as, interpreted it as artery. But, you know, an artifact is just a thing that gets into the sound waves. Right. So the, the doctor said, look, look, your placenta is still low lying. If you have sex, you'll probably bleed. So... You probably shouldn't have sex, but if you do, it's no big deal. And if you bleed and you get upset, just come here. I'll give you another ultrasound. And of course, Erica had sex and bled and had to go get another ultrasound. But that Sophie knew all, like she just knew exactly without knowing the word placenta or what. But right. that was the kind of amazing experiences I had with her. And I am so incredibly grateful. And then through... Other things she told me, I began to, at first I didn't, at first I, I was like, okay, I'll believe in psychics, but I'm not going to believe in mediums, as if there's a difference. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, I had to, I had learned so much along the way, but 
she also could connect, although she didn't as much with the other side, but I learned from her that she could and she knew about it. And then I became, of course, fascinated in mediums and in past lives. And I mean, how can you oh not be fascinated? How could you not be fascinated? Oh, it's amazing. All this right. that's out there. And as a scientist. Right, right. And, and I love the University of Virginia for all the work they're doing. I use that in classes. And I think it's, it's amazing. And again, having an open mind. There we it go. All come <laughs> back to that, doesn't it? Right. Full circle. I want. I love it when things come back full circle like that. Well, Sylvia, is there anything else you think about um, where madness lies that is important to mention, or something we haven't even talked about with it? No, I think we've covered a lot. Of we really it. covered it. Yeah, it's, it's a it's an engaging read. I have to say, I haven't read the whole thing, but it's engaging because it does follow along a narrative, and so there's some big big concepts in there, um, a lot of history. Of course, I love history. and um, But it, it's, a, it's an enjoyable book to I mean enjoyable. It's a, it's a captivating book to read. It right. Yes. Yeah, it, it leans a little on the dark side at times. Right, right. I don't know. But, enjoyable, right, but. Right, no, but it, it ends up being, it ends up coming into the light. Right. So, right. you know, you go from the darkness to the light. I mean, that's hopefully how the reader will ultimately feel that there is light, there is hope, there is redemption. I love you it. Know. Wonderful. Well, Sylvia True, thank you so much for joining me oh, today. Thank you. Yes, I really appreciate it. Was it wonderful to meet you. Oh, you too. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.